Well, man, it is so surreal to kind of be back. And uh, but before I dive into anything, I just want to say thank you to JJ and Esther for having us. Um, it makes Claire and I just super excited and super proud to see what they've done. And also just humbled to know that what we started is in good hands. And uh, we can't say enough good words about the pastors that you guys have. And they've been incredible. They've been amazing. And uh, we're really excited for the future. I heard you guys did a little something. You got a, some property maybe. So I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, so, oh, it's right here. I'll go without it. It's fine. Um, but yeah, what, JJ asked me to talk a little bit about our story, and uh, I promise I will get to that. But I am going to save it for kind of the middle, and I would love at the very end for my wife to kind of wrap some things up, because I think it would be uh, great for you guys to hear from her, because she's just as much of this story. Um, I mean, there is no way that I could have done any of this without her. So um, there were many moments when I walked in on a Sunday, and I'm like, I quit. I'm done. She's like, no, you don't. Like, no, I'm like, this is for real this time. I quit. I'm done. I'm out. And then it's, it's amazing to always have a a partner that has supported us or me throughout this entire journey. But what I want to talk about, I think kind of really goes hand in hand with our story. And I think it's quite instrumental to our story, but I want to talk about wonder Um, Because specifically within the past two years, I don't know about you, but um, I think a lot of us have been in survival. (laughs) You know, like, just, can we just make it through the day? Like, I don't know. um, So this was crazy. When we moved to Nashville, uh, business started going well. We started meeting some people. We got in and we're like, man, this is working. This is going really well. And then COVID happened. And we're like, shoot, <laughs> what, how is this going to work? Like all the, the film shoots and the things that were scheduled. And I had all kinds of projects get canceled. And you're kind of like, I, I, what are we going to do, right? And so I think that's kind of been a lot of our story within the past almost two years is just surviving. And my fear in that is that in our scramble to just simply survive, that we've lost our sense of wonder. We've lost our sense of who Jesus really is and, and that, that, that journey to go and to discover him again. So let me explain it to you this way. What I mean by survival is you get stuck in this kind of wheel of just like paying rent, showing up for your kids, going to soccer practice, getting on airplanes, cleaning your house, doing it all over and over again. I don't know about you, but the bane of my existence is cleaning my house. It's cleaning my house because we have six kids, a dog, and a three-year-old. And I don't know if you know anything about three-year-olds. Like, I tell people this all the time. They say, man, we don't want to get a dog because they will destroy our house. I was like, have you ever had kids? Like, you don't, you, you don't need a dog. You just release a three-year-old into your home, and your home in, in about top five minutes will be done. It's over. It's over. Um, we hate staying in Airbnbs because our kids just completely destroy them, and then we end up having to pay so much more money. And this is true story. They just, like, draw on everything, break games, tear things. We, we got to the house last night, and they're like, can we pull out the game? I'm like, I swear to God, if you chuck, touch that checker piece, I will cut your hand off. Don't touch it, you know? And so, so many of us get stuck in this survival mode. And listen, no judgment here. I think sometimes all we have is the energy just to keep going, right? Just like, I've got to make it to the next day. But if we're really brutally honest with ourselves, can I say it this way? Life, for many of us, has just beat the hell out of us. And we're kind of at this place where we're like, 
God, are you in this? Are you in this? Because I feel like I'm surviving. I feel like I'm just making it. And it's almost like surviving has kind of become the norm. It's just like day to day, get through the day, get to the next day. And today, hopefully my goal in sharing some of our story is to maybe that there would be something inside of you that would spark some sense of wonder again. Let me explain it to you this way. It's really difficult to describe what your favorite song does to you on a soul level. So, so let me explain it to you this way. Like, every single person has that one song that it doesn't matter where you are, what time it is, you can always play that song and you can keep it on repeat. Anybody have that, like, that favorite song that your spouse is like, can you just stop playing that song? And you're like, it just, it speaks to me. It does something to me. And if somebody were to ask you, well, what does the song do to you? You would try to explain it. You would say, oh, I love the way that the melody is, or I love the lyric, or I love the beat, or I love this. Or, and you try and you fail at this attempt because it just does something so deep inside of you that you just simply cannot explain it. It's like maybe for the first time when you heard a specific song. I remember the first time I was, I think I was 17 or eight years, 18 years old, and I heard Fleetwood Mac for the first time. And I'm like, what is this? Because my dad, you know, growing up, he was into all the rock and roll albums. And, and if you know this about me, like, I'm very, I'm very melancholy. I'm not like, I don't, my dad's like, rock and roll, turn the speakers up. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I just like sad songs. Can I be honest with you? Like, I just like sad songs. And uh, so Fleetwood Mac kind of had this, like, idea where they, they could rock out. They also had like this tender side of them. They could get into the emotion side. And I remember when I heard Fleetwood Mac for the first time, I went on this like downward spiral. And I'm telling my, I'm like, dad, have you heard of this record? He's like, son, that was out like 30 years ago. I'm like, I know, but have you heard of it? And you start diving into everything that they've ever released. Like, so when you hear that song on the radio and you're like, man, I wonder if they have anything else that is good. I wonder if they've released anything else that would maybe pique my interest. See, this is what wonder does to you. When you get captivated by something, when Jesus does something so significant in your life, it it brings up this sense of awe, this sense of wonder. I need to search. I, I need to go find something else. This is what I love about God because he's so expansive and he's so big that when you get into this mode of just simply surviving, there's more to him. There's so much more to him. Another way you could explain it would be, um, I was in New York a few months ago filming, and one of the things that I had one day off, or a few hours off, and one of the things that I love about New York that always just is amazing is it really does, you can, you can eat food from anywhere in the world. And I found this little Korean restaurant right next to my hotel that had some of the most amazing food. And like when you eat it, like all you can do is just like, I, I just need to try everything you have on the menu. I told my like, I didn't even want to go to any other restaurant. The, the whole time I was there, I just ate there. <laughs> just tried different things because it was so good. Or maybe it's that like drive across the country and you see the Grand Canyon and you stand at the edge of it and you're like, man, this is amazing. It's so big. You know, in Tennessee, one of the things that we learned is we're like, oh my gosh, they have water that you can actually swim in. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's clear. 
I'm not going to get my leg torn off by an alligator. I was telling somebody in the lobby earlier, I was like, I remember being a teenager, like wakeboarding in the bayou. And it was just normal to like wakeboard. And you're like, oh, there went an alligator in the water, but I'm still wakeboarding. You know, like, like there's nothing normal about that, guys. Nothing. But we, we, we all have that thing that strikes something in us. We have that song and it does something at a soul level or when you first saw your spouse for the first time and you're like, I want that. (laughs) And it does something. And if you were to try to explain it, to be honest with you, like words fail, you just can't. Our attempts to explain love always fall flat, but here's what I love about it. But if we're committed to discover true love, if we're committed to really go on this search for Jesus, an intimate connection is always the end result. It's always the end result. And listen, I understand like sometimes you're on this search and you feel like you've taken a few wrong turns. You don't know where you're going. You ever get lost? (laughs) Like what did we do before like GPS, before phones? Remember MapQuest? Like you'd print it out, and if you printed out the wrong one, like it was the worst fight you and your wife ever got into. I love this verse in, in Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14. And this is message version, um, which I have actually really grown to love lately. It says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, and watch this part. Yes, when you get serious about finding me, and I love this, and you want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. But I I need you to understand something. What does seeking imply? What does seeking imply? What does going on a search imply? It means that you're going to make a few wrong turns. It it means that you're going to hit some bumps in the road. And oftentimes what we try to do when we're searching, we're, we, we are so tempted to explain the hard way. So I'll say it like this. It's really not our job to explain God. It's our job to discover God. It, it, let me give you a more practical example of how this plays out. Like, you ever gone through something hard? Or you see somebody like a neighbor or a family member and somebody asks you, like, why are they going through that? And we try to explain like why God would allow them to go through that, but you just don't know. There is no explanation. Because our job is not to explain God. Our, our job is to discover God. So I'll ask you another question. What has stunned your wonder lately? What has stunned it? What, it, what is the thing that is like that cap, that block, that is keeping you from really connecting with the Lord? You know, in our journey, what I found personally for me that the greatest threat to my wonder was certainty. The, the greatest threat to wonder was certainty. Because, and here's what I mean by this. People ask Claire and I this a few times, like, why Nashville? Why, why Nashville? And, and here's my response. Because we wanted to. And what I mean by that, there was like, there was, it was like, we think we should go there. We think God is calling us there. But we were at a place in our life where it's like we could have kind of gone anywhere we wanted to go. We could have moved. We don't know anyone in Nashville. There's no job in Nashville. 
There's no home in Nashville. There's, there's nothing. There's no connections. There's no relationships. It's not like we're going there and then there was going to be this paycheck. It was like, we got about $7,000 and when that runs out, but I don't know what we're going to do. But see, sometimes certainty when you're like, well, it's comfortable here. I know what I have here. Sometimes it keeps us from taking that risk to really stepping out into something that God is really calling us to do. And certainty is fueled by fear at the end of the day. Like, well, if I do this, will God come through? And the question we had to keep asking ourselves over and over, but what if he does? But what if, what if he does? Like, what if he does come through? And the truth is, you will have those days when God feels everything but wonderful, right? <laughs> like, let's just show of hands and make everybody feel a little bit comfortable in here. How many of you have ever had that day where you're like, I just don't think God is good? Anybody? Like, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, like, he's good to everybody else, but he has, like, a mission just to spite, he's not good to me. And, and this is what I love about the Psalms. And if you were here in the beginning years ago, you would, you would have heard me say this all the time, but I love the Psalms because every time I would read them, it just made me feel normal. Like you would read it, and I love it. David's like, God, you are so good. And then the next line is like, God curse you. This is the worst life I've ever experienced. And then he ends with like, but you are still good. <laughs> but there, there's this Psalm in Psalms 88, and it ends with this, and it's the only Psalm in the, the entire book of Psalms that it doesn't end with some sort of reprieve. Where usually the psalmist will start and they will hit this kind of like, they start complaining, they lament, and then in the middle they have something where they come back to themselves and they're thankful and they end it with, God, you are so good. Psalms 88, whoever wrote it just had a bad day. And it ends with this. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. The end. And you're like, what? But, but if we're honest, isn't that how he feels sometimes? And here's what, what I love. The same author that wrote Psalms 88 also wrote Psalms 89. And this is the very, so that was the last line of Psalms 88. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. Then he pins the next Psalm right next to it. The very first opening line of Psalms 89 starts with, your love God is my song and I'll sing it. I'm forever telling everyone how faithful you are. And, and here's what I want you to understand. If you've gotten to this place where your wonder has somewhat been stunned and you feel like you're hitting this wall and you're in survival mode and you don't know how to reconnect with the Lord and you don't know how to reset, that maybe you're in that Psalms 88 moment and it's only one chapter of your story. And maybe God is saying, hey, maybe this survival mode is not to really just break you down so you can become nothing, but maybe it's really an invitation so that you can discover a God that you've never really known before. It's an invitation into something that is greater. And I know what you're saying, you know? Like, look, I've heard it before. I've heard the scriptures. I've, I've heard people say, like, just, you know, be encouraged and read the Bible. To be honest with you, when Claire and I uh, ended up coming to this place where we decided that we were going to leave Louisiana, and if I'm just being absolutely candid and frank, we were burnout. We were done. Just completely done. 
And, and I remember having a few conversations with people and they would quote scripture to me and I'm just like, dude, it's just the last thing I want to hear right now. I'm just honest. I just, I don't want to hear it. Because it, it felt somewhat cliche, didn't it? Because I felt so weak in that moment that I'm like, I just, I, and what I really needed, what I really needed, and what I know now, what I really needed is I didn't just need to read them. I needed them to come alive. I needed to experience them. And you see, sometimes uncertainty can feel like weakness. When God has you in this moment and he's pushing you out of the boat and he's calling you into something new, that uncertainty can feel like, I, I feel weak in this moment. I mean, we've all found ourselves in situations where we don't know what's going to happen next, right? Maybe it's the end of a relationship. Maybe it's the beginning of a career. Maybe it's like, man, financially we're good, and then your savings account gets drained, and you're like, how are we going to do this? Sometimes the uncertainty can feel like God is absent. But as I said earlier, what if the uncertainty is an invitation? An invitation to discover a side of God's goodness that you've never known. Maybe it's a new sense of wonder to discover God again. You know, when we came to the point, Claire and I, the, the, the decision that we made, we were actually in Mexico. We were in Cancun. We left for about seven days. And we had been having discussions, like we really feel like God is doing something deep within our hearts, and he's really calling us to take a risk, and he's calling us to move. And we had been wrestling with this for a long time. And the truth is, it's, it's terrifying, because when, when you build something, when you start something, you have all these other things, the expectations that we're going to hurt people, we're going to let people down, there's all these different things. And we finally came to this conclusion while we were there, we're like, no, this is, this is the right decision. And I, I can't even begin to explain to you just the simple things that begin to happen in our life when we decided to take a risk and fully trust God. I remember the first night we moved there, Claire and I were having a discussion, let, let, let's be tight with our money, we're not going to eat out, we're not going to do anything. We, we ended up moving all of our stuff, we had to get it out of this Penske truck because I had to return it the next day. And so we, we're unloading all the stuff. It's like midnight. And the only thing that is open, we're about to break our rule. We're like, we're not going to eat out. And they're like, wait, we have no food in the house. We're starving. It's midnight. We're going to eat out. And so I'm driving around Franklin. I don't know where anything is. And I pull up to this steak and shake. It's the only place open. First night we're there. I pull into it. I was like, I order this. I get the food. And I go to hand him my debit card. And she's like, oh, the car uh, in front of you paid for it. I was like, wait, what? Here's what's crazy. My business, I went, we went to church. We were there for maybe three weeks, and I had a guy there. I'm having this conversation about some video stuff. He's like, you do video? I was like, yeah. He's like, um, and I was, I was actually like two weeks out from about to fly. I was going to England to do something over there. He's like, you do video? He's like, yeah, I want to introduce you to one of my clients, and uh, they need this video and this whole thing done within like the next three days. Can you do it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll do anything at this point, right? Um, and ends up saying, hey, this is this is this guy, this company is like one of the biggest companies in Nashville that I come to find out. I get this job that really spurs and starts the business. I end up doing this one job for this uh, 
it's called Rocket Town. This it's a it's kind of like a a place where teenagers can go. They have a skate park in it, all this kind of stuff. And the Michael W. Smith is the one who started it. And I do this work for them, and I meet this guy at this one uh, meeting who uh, is part of the board there. And he's like, hey, I want to get you to do some stuff for Michael later on. Okay, great. So we kind of connect this relationship. I do some stuff for them. And then I get a call maybe six months ago um, from the same guy that was at Rocket Town. He's like, hey, I want to introduce you to Scott Hamilton. I want you to direct and produce a TV show with him. Like the crazy circle of events. Like when I tell you that there, it was not me like going out and like just straight, I'm going to get this done. Like, time and time and time after again. Landing in the neighborhood that we landed in was like, we, we were like, we think this is a good neighborhood. We're going to land here. The friendships that have been developed in there, it was literally like a saving grace for our kids. That neighborhood is full. They have, I mean, they will literally get home from school, throw their backpack down, and we won't see them till six o'clock, which is totally fine with me. Isaac, you don't want us. I love you, buddy. <laughs> but, it, but it really was. And, and I say all that because it really was God. And what began to happen inside of us was this new sense. Like, I'm not the same person anymore. My, my, my relationship with God is completely different. It's, it's that same when, when Jesus is, is talking with different people and, the, and they can't understand the parables and they're like, God, why can't they understand? And he's like, they don't have the eyes to see and they don't have the ears to hear. It was literally like God opened up something in my eye where I begin to see him in a new light. And I came back to this scripture in 2 Corinthians and you know it, 12, 8, 12, um, 8 through 10. It says, now I take limitations in stride. This is Paul talking. Remember when he comes to God and he's like, I got these things, this weakness, this thorn in my flesh. Can you take it away? Paul says, now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And I love this line. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. And look, I get it. In your weakness, it's probably the last scripture you want to hear because you're like, I, this, I don't feel like that at all. But here's what I've learned is he allows weakness to prove the strength of his love. He allows weakness to prove the strength of his love. I want to show you a picture. If you could throw the first one up there real quick. Um, first slide. Yep, this one. Okay, so this is the Milky Way galaxy, which is just one galaxy within the middle of the universe. I mean, there's so many different galaxies. Now, what's crazy is you look at this. Scientists actually believe that there's about one septillion stars just in the Milky Way galaxy. That is 16 zero, no, 26 zeros. Okay, this, this is just an estimation. That arrow right there, that, that little dot, that's Earth. That's Earth. Like, that's crazy. When you think about it. Uh, go to the next slide. They just took this picture on one of the Mars rovers. If you have it, yep. They just discovered that the sunsets on Mars are blue. This was taken by um, one of the rovers there. And, and here's what I want you to understand, that 
when you start looking at it this way, in the intricacies and the way that God designs things, that we, like, you look at it, if you spent the rest of your life exploring every corner of the earth, you wouldn't even get to 20%. You just couldn't. It's so expansive. It's so big. And then when you see pictures like that, you're like, we are so small. But I want to I wanna awaken your senses right now, maybe help you with this, because I struggle with this often, and I have to be careful where you can just fall into the machine that we know as life, the magnetic noise that kind of pulls us into the endless scroll and social media, the news, the, the rate, everything that pulls us in, that if we're not careful, we lose our senses in a sense. We, be, we become non-present people, meaning this, like we forget the smell of rain. Isn't it crazy? Like, and I remember in a hot Louisiana summer, especially when like the concrete is just burning hot and that rain hits the pavement and it has this certain like minerally type smell, right? Have you ever been out like at the beach and it's just like the right temperature and you get a breeze and you're like, ugh, this is perfection. Unless you have six kids and they're throwing sand everywhere. It kind of ruins the moment. <laughs> Or, or, the, or the fact that right now that you have millions of neurons firing in your brain, sending signals to your fingers and you can move them at your will. The fact that you can take a deep breath, the, the intricacies and the design that God gave us and just the smell of a new baby. Like, or when you cut open like the perfect steak and you're like, you, God, you do exist. <laughs> You do exist. When you taste good coffee, which you guys have never tasted because you're drinking community, but it's good. It's good. I had to throw that one in there. Here's what I've come to realize. Here, here's, here's what I've come to realize. Your palates suck. That's, that's what it is. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but just, I want you to think of this for a moment. When you think about all that, when you could just sit down, I, I went on a small walk this morning and I'm just like, uh, the, the place we're at, they had like those honeysuckles blooming. You get the smell of that. I remember as a kid, like pulling it open and like licking each one of them. See, that is the type of creative God that we serve. And it would be a shame for us to get stuck in just survival mode and we miss out on all of that. See, I don't know if you realize this, but you were made from the same stuff that God made galaxies from. When he put stars into place, this is why I've always drawn back to the scripture in Ephesians 1. It says, long before he laid the foundations of the earth, he had us in mind. So before he created blue sunsets on Mars, before he stun, spun stars into existence, he thought about you. And I love this. He had settled us, he had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. So the greatest wonder of all is not blue sunsets on Mars. It's not 26 septillion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's that he knew you and he formed you before anything. So what does this mean? This means this, before you could make a mistake, before you could make a mess of your life, before you could make that wrong turn, he said, 
I love you and I want you. And he decided to pull you in to be a part of his family. See, we can talk about the wonders of the galaxy all day. We can talk about the wonders of the human body. But the greatest wonder of all is that in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of your doubt right now, where you're like, I'm, I'm doubting that he is real to me in this moment, that he hasn't stopped loving you. That's why I've always been drawn to the stories of like the woman at the well, right? Or the woman caught in adultery, which our culture, I mean, it's, it's just so rampant right now. We're just so quick to jump, at, jump out and completely demolish somebody that has failed, right? And sometimes Christians are the worst. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. I was, exp- I was trying to explain it to my wife yesterday, and I'll see if I can attempt to do it. But I had this, I was sitting down the other day, I was actually driving in the car, was when I usually do most of my thinking, because it's quiet. And I'm like, if, if, if you were to explain the love of God, like what metaphor could you use? Because love, like the word love is just not enough. You know, we, we have this in, in our culture, in our Western culture, and then you have the Eastern culture where, where, where Jesus was from. And the way we think about things is just completely different than the way they thought about things, which is sometimes why it's kind of hard to interpret the Bible. They thought in metaphor. They thought in pictures. We're so black and white with everything. Like If somebody were to ask you, like, well, what does love mean to you? It's like, well, it's just unchanging. It never wavers. It's goodness. It's, if you were to ask a, an Eastern person that serves the Lord, you'd say, what does love mean? They'd say, oh, it's like a never-ending rushing river that never stops. And I had that metaphor on my, my brain, and I, and I began to think of it like this. True love is this. And this is how much God loves you. It is this massive flowing river, like raging never stops and you're in it and you have a moment where you're like ah, maybe there's something else out there and so you start carving a channel and you make a new channel and you try to go do your own thing and the, and the word picture that I kept having or the picture that I kept having like even if you carve a channel that river that's rushing that water is still going to be redirected into that channel so the thing that I kept thinking over and over and over again, it doesn't matter how far off you go, like God's love constantly follows you. There's nothing that you can do to hide from it. There's nothing that you can do to escape it. And sometimes to get back to that eternal rushing river, sometimes you gotta, it's hard. You realize, oh, I made a, the, the, a wrong decision and you gotta swim back upstream. You ever tried to canoe upstream? It sucks, right? God is so much bigger than we can comprehend and he really does. My wife and I were saying this on the car right here, like he really does work all things for good. He really does. And listen, I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I don't know what your life looks like right now. I don't know the things that you're going through right now, but here's what I have learned. Sometimes the best theology is, I don't know. I wrote this the day that we left. I, I, just, I actually just found it this morning. I wrote this the day that we left, and it says this, I don't know where I'm going, but I know I need you now. I don't know what the future holds, but I need you in it. There's a flame that flickers in the wind of uncertainty, and God knows there's a resurrection living inside of me. And so here's what I want you to understand. 
there may be some things in your life that you feel like have just died. But there is a resurrection living inside of you. There is something, we do serve a God, as JJ said in the beginning, that brings dead things back to life. And to be honest with you, those dead things come back to life when we can experience him again, when that wonder is charged, when we're so awestruck in by who God is. You know, I, I was telling Claire this on the way, I said, it would have been, it was a risk either way. It would have been a risk for us to stay and it was a risk for us to leave. Either way, it was a risk. The risk to go was like, it doesn't work. <laughs> the risk to stay is, man, there's something in our souls that we know is off and it's not right and God is calling us to something. And then we settle into a life that is less than what God has for us. It's a risk either way. And so maybe I just came here this morning to challenge you. And hopefully you can see some hope in our story that sometimes when you step out of, that's what I love the story about Peter. When you step out of the boat, he's like, I got this. And what happens? He sinks. God has to pull him back up again. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So if anything, I'll, I'll close with this. And then I would love for you to hear from my wife just a few words. But the most amazing thing that I've experienced in the last two years, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. You know, when you, when you first step out and you first go out and you leave, the, the first thing that you feel, one, you're excited, and then the second thing you're like, did we make the right decision? Then you, then you have that month where you're like, oh my, did we make the right decision? And then God starts coming through and then it's this roller coaster of emotions. But God really is good. And he really does work all things for good. And I would just want to encourage you and maybe my maybe you want to come. I think I would love for her to just chat about that just for a second. What it, what it would really look like just to pause for a moment. And, and what it really looks like to experience the goodness of God. So good, babe. Um, so I just want y'all to know, full disclosure, when we made that decision to step out, I was utterly terrified. Like, I didn't sleep for, like, weeks. <laughs> and I, that's probably honest, like, maybe an hour or two. Um, I like consistency. I like safety. I like security. I do not like taking risks. So it it was a huge, huge um step for me. And, um, but one thing I've learned, uh, it's living in survival mode. It's just not worth it. It's like, you just, um, you're always exhausted. You know, I mean, how many of you understand what we mean when we say survival mode, like where you're just like going to the punches, it's all reactive. There's no response. There's no thought in it. And like actual consideration of like, what am I doing? What am I, what decision should I make? How can I respond? Like, it's just all reactive, just like putting out fires constantly. Um, so we know all too well what that, like how you feel, what that leads to. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. We understand how hard that is. And we understand that, especially with the pandemic and all the crazy things right now that's happening in the world, like that 
a lot of people are in that space and you might be in that space and we were, and we can still get back to that really easily. What we found that is so absolutely crucial to getting out of that is being present. Like right now, just allowing yourself to, God made it's mind, body, soul, spirit. So not just allowing the spirit to be what is fed and nourished and paid attention to, but actually pay attention to your mind and your body and like pay attention to what it's telling you. Sometimes you just don't notice if you don't give yourself the the space, the brain space, the time alone, the quiet to actually like feel what's going on and let it matter. Like, oh, you know what? I am overwhelmed right now and I do need to to change some things and these are some things that I need to do. Um, So I would just encourage you guys to to put yourself in a place where you can um, actually like know what's going on, that you can actually notice the survival mode when you get kicked into it again. Um, so I would just like all you close, let's close our eyes real quick. Let's just take a breath and just sit with your thoughts right now. Sit with what's going on inside you. Sit with maybe tension in your neck and just feeling the anxieties of tomorrow and what's coming and just invite God into that. It's not separate from him. He is very aware. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times more aware than we are. So we can just think of what's going on, the anxieties, the fears, the hangups. I mean, man, all the things that go into survival mode, sometimes it's just because we haven't felt safe. Sometimes we've just been wronged and hurt. Sometimes we've just been overextended. Sometimes we haven't set boundaries. Sometimes we haven't trusted God. We've taken it into our hands. And if you could just, in your own words, in your own mind, just hand that over to God and say, God, I'm, I'm inviting you into this space. I'm not going to do it on my own. And I know it's not a quick fix and it's not something that's just going to change overnight, but I'm with you in this. I need you to be with me in this. And let's just not do this just in this moment, but let's do this continually throughout the week and throughout our lives that we just remember to just to sit sometimes and let him, him be with us. So God, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you've never left us. And actually those broken places where we feel like sometimes we've made a wrong decision, others have wronged us. We've had a just difficult season. God, whatever it is, God, thank you that you actually you're not just with us in it, but God, that that's where you work. That's where you actually bring beauty to life. You bring purpose through our pain, God, that you use all of it and you weave it together in a tapestry that just makes us see how good you are, even in the hard parts and the difficult seasons. God, we thank you for what you're doing. Amen. Thank you, babe. I'll close with this and then I'll hand it over to JJ. I think um, I think one of the most helpful things that we can do in a culture, and it, it, and it so much pushes against the cultural moment that we're in right now, but the best thing that we can do sometimes is, is I'll say it this way, God doesn't need hype. He just doesn't need it. He doesn't need you to pray loud. He doesn't need you to scream. He doesn't need you to yell. Sometimes it can be helpful. He doesn't need it. It's a simple, like, God, I need you right now. I don't know what's going on. 
And then we take that, and then we just take a moment. I'm going to take five minutes. I'm just going to sit. God, what's going on in my heart? I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I have to ask myself that, right? Like, I'm snapping at the kids. I'm angry at my wife, and I don't, I don't even know why. And I have to sit, and I'm like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm anxious. And I can invite God into that moment. And there is a peace that only that he can bring. And sometimes it's, it is, it's pushing against culture where the, the culture is constantly inviting us into the noise and inviting us into the live on your phone and stare at a screen and do all this. And I'm going to just take a moment to just shut down and invite God in my heart and see what happens. And the truth is that God can step exactly into those moments and he can meet you right where you're at. Guys, thank you so much for having us. It was such a pleasure to be here. We love you guys, and hopefully it won't be the last.